It is Locked on Jazz for the 6th of October. Let's dig in. Rotations, combinations, playing structure, playing style. What are we trying to do? I'll give some thoughts after watching two games. And who is Kelly Olenek? It's the today's edition of Locked on Jazz. You are Locked On Jazz, your daily podcast on the Utah Jazz. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. How are you? I'm David Locke, radio voice of the Utah Jazz, Jazz NBA insider. This is Locked On Jazz, your daily podcast on the Utah Jazz, giving you insight, expertise, geeky numbers, and hopefully making it way better to be a Jazz fan each and every day. Thanks so much for making Locked On Jazz your first listen of the day. Thank you very much. We are free. We are available on all podcasting apps. We are on YouTube. Give us five stars. Give us a thumbs up. Thank you very much. Us being me, myself, and the rabbit in my pocket? I don't know. Um, But anyway, uh, thank you very much. And if you are on YouTube, please... uh, Hit the subscribe button as well as giving us the thumbs, uh, the little bell notification thing. That really matters because then it tells you when the show is there. All right, I'm unshaven. I'm sleepy. Uh, I look like hell. Uh, they say that the new society where we're all on Zoom all the time has psychological impact for us because we're not used to looking at ourselves. And this morning, that would probably be the case for me. Um, I've actually tried to do this show every now and then just put something so I don't see myself doing the show. And then I go back and rewatch the show. And then I see all the stupid things I'm doing when I'm not watching myself. It's a catch 22 people. Um, I got to laugh. Uh, Spencer Keel does a great job on Twitter. Um, he often quotes things I've said that make me nervous. Cause I'm like, did I really just say that? But I, I wasn't sure. I, I think we all, I need this. I almost feel like this could be the YouTube question. Thing. So is the following tweet, it depends where my narcissism lies. Um, I've been around enough narcissists that I'm actually don't think I am one, but um, maybe. Uh, I love hearing David Lockett pumped up and excited to call preseason Utah Jazz games, even after calling a thousand Jazz games in his life. And to see him already getting bags under his eyes after two preseason games, very few put in as much work in their job as Lockett. I think this is well-intended. Um, I did have the first three-hour sleep day, and I did look like, you know what, yesterday, and I still do, so maybe that's it. But that tweet, I got to admit, um, at 52 years old, uh, it makes me laugh um, and probably has me um, uh, kind of chuckle at all aspects. There, there's some, like, I appreciate it. I'll, t- I'll, I'll say thank you very much. Um, but I thought it was really, really, really funny. All right, I want to... Um, you know, I did Alex and Scott yesterday on the um, on the uh, Unleashed, I think it's called. And everyone's asking a lot of questions about rotations and what have we seen so far and things like that. And honestly, I feel as though it's so kind of intertwined and not entirely clear that uh, it was really hard to answer on their show. So this gives me a platform to maybe do a little bit of a deeper dive. So we've seen right so far, and I'm sure it'll be intertwined more with this. Right now we've seen these kind of two five-man units that kind of play. And so what we saw in night one is that that Colin and uh, Conley starts and Sexton is the other point guard for 48 minutes as of right now. Okay. 
Number two was that Clarkson and Beasley are kind of playing the shooting guard. Okay, so they're learning something. Markkinen and then another ball handler. And I think that's important. Like, the the the, the backup to Markin at the small forward, one night was Taylor Horton Tucker and another was Nikhil Alexander-Walker. And both of them handled a lot. Unfortunately, we do not have tracking data because we were in Edmonton and I don't think they do it in the preseason. I would be so curious right now to know like who, how many pick and rolls guys have run and what our pick and roll numbers are and how many pick and rolls we're running versus handoffs. Like there's a bunch of super interesting data that we'll have. Like I actually think by you know Tuesday of the by the fourth game of the year we'll be able to look at some of this and be like, oh, that like tells us a little bit about who we are and what we're doing now. Um, very early. I think that uh, we'll be able to see that at the end of that first road trip. I think we play home and then we go on the road for three. Um, so that'll be really, that'll be kind of interesting. And then we'll find out about uh, Conley on back-to-backs too. Then the, the fourth spot that we, we have is Kelly Olenek really is playing the four. I know we kind of think about it the five. Kelly Olenek's really playing the four, and then the backup four has either been Rudy Gay or Stanley Johnson. Stanley Johnson really did some interesting things the other night, um, and Rudy Gay still just looks you know, like he's getting his body going. Um, and then finally, your center is Jared Vanderbilt or Walker Kessler. Okay, And there's some parallel here with all of them where you can kind of begin to see how we're going to play. What's, what's interesting to me, as we try to figure out these combinations and, and what aspects are going to go where and things of that nature are, first is Kelly Linick, who we'll talk about later in the show and kind of give you background. I'm trying to do backgrounds on players so you get to know all of them. Is Linick is such a good ball handler and ball mover and passer. And again, I wish we had the tracking numbers. It'd be really interesting to see how many passes Linick has thrown compared to everybody else right now. Um... And, you know, there's no chance that Stanley Johnson or um, or Rudy Gay, certainly not Rudy Gay, would be that kind of a passer. Um, Rudy's more likely to go into his package and, and see what he can and he can find in his offensive game and then create out of that. Um, and then, but, so let's just kind of look at those combinations. The, the first one is, I do think we're going to play differently anytime Kelly Olenek's on the floor. I, I think as, if I'm the coaching staff and I'm trying to now figure out where the, the fulcrum is coming from, I'm actually kind of trying to build that starting lineup a little bit off of who plays maybe well with Olenek. And I think the marketing and the Vanderbilt really work. Like Olenek, Vanderbilt's bounciness and athleticism and uh, attacking of the rim. And there's some things offensively interesting. He's not guarded very much offensively, which gives him straight lines to the basket for offensive rebounding. Like those really work. Like that Olenek, marketing Vanderbilt thing that we've seen for two games, I, I'd be super surprised if they went away from it uh, permanently. They might try it for a preseason game or two, but it feels good, and, it's, and it seems to have a lot of logic. And so then I'm starting to piece together, like, all right, well, who can play off Olenek? And Vanderbilt's not bad at getting it and getting off of it and, um, and piecing together those combinations. You know, if you look back at what, and there's no reason why Will Hardy has to be compared to Quinn Snyder every single flipping day, but he's going to be for a while. You know, for the first year, Quinn Snyder decided to have Boyan Bogdanovich and Rudy Gobert match minutes in every single um, moment. And then the next year, he switched out of that and went to Mike Conley matching with Rudy Gobert. And what's interesting is that's when Conley took off. So 
this gets into kind of combinations. And Mike Conley has was super, super good with Rudy Gobert on the floor. Almost exclusively Rudy Gobert on the floor for the last two years. Um, and so what... Do the how do you make sure you get the most out of Mike Conley? He doesn't he doesn't look at all bothered or having as though he's having any problems at all right now um, with playing without him in the preseason games. He was he's been really fabulous in both games. So I'm not you know I, I, maybe there's a much to do about nothing here, but there is worth some conversation of all right. Is Mike Conley going to be better? Um, uh, is Mike Conley going to be better than? With Kelly Olynyk, or does he work better with other players and things of that nature? Um, as you try to find combinations, so the, as we're trying to find combinations here, it's not just like the easy combination to start this conversation is all right. Well, which two guards work best together? And I think there is something to really that discussion, but I actually think it goes deeper into like all right. Well, if Kelly Olynyk's going to get these primary minutes and he's really the fulcrum of how the ball's moving, then who plays well off of Kelly Olynyk? And what's interesting there is that our best catch-and-shoot guys on the roster, if a Linux creating and able to find guys, are Mike Conley, Colin Sexton, and Malik Beasley. Those are our three 40% career catch-and-shoot three-point shooters. Um, and so you start to work off that. Now, on the guard line, I want to dig into that because this is interesting. We've had Conley start. Sexton made the comment the other day at shoot-around that once he's fully healthy, he expects to start. Uh, I... I, I, I'm, that was interesting. I, I'm not certain that I think that's necessarily Colin's perfect spot right now. Now, if we trade Mike or Mike doesn't play back in a back-to-back, so Mike begins to fatigue, but Mike Conley was really good last year. And if you want to start going into Mike Conley's ratings last year across the league and where, you know, where he kind of had his numbers and what he did and some things like that, Pretty impressive. Like, he was in the 91st percentile of all above-the-break three-point shooters. He was the fourth-best off-the-bounce three-point shooter in the NBA. Our plus-minus with him on the floor was pretty outstanding. Um, You know, he doesn't go to the rim anymore. He's, like, finishing his at 50% at the rim, which is now in the sixth percentile, and he only takes 7.5% of his shots at the rim. So those are different. Like, that's a different number than he once was as a player, but he hasn't aged to the point in which he's not a starting point guard in the NBA. And so... I, I'm not entirely convinced, and maybe we'll we'll see Sexton and Conley together. But that is two six-one guards, and it does. The early indication is that we have seen kind of a push away from that um, from Will Hardy. All right, so we'll continue this conversation because I think the other aspect of this is the ball handler aspect and the combination aspect, and I want to kind of continue on both of those here on this. What day of the week is it? Thursday edition? It is a Thursday edition. Woo! Doggy week one of travel. I look like crap and my brain doesn't work. Ah! Uh, we'll get through it all together. Um, it is so funny. I and I, It is the greatest gig ever. And I, I hope you guys know that. And I I couldn't have been more excited. Like, preseason game in Portland. I got off the Peloton and I got dressed and I was just getting ready to go. And I... I I couldn't have been more pumped, like just juice flying. I felt alive again. I've said this to my wife like for 10 straight years. Every time we call the first game, like I'm alive again. I was crazy nervous in Edmonton. I felt alive in Portland. And um, and it's just the best. Um, but I, I will say like, wow, that first trip back, like, and I, I went to lunch with my wife and daughter yesterday and I was like, man, am I tired? I'm like, David, it's the first. I was like, yeah, it's not the, 
Like you just kind of get in a perpetual state of tired and you can function. But when it first hits you and slaps you in the face like it did yesterday, woo, baby, it is like, oh, I got to figure this out. <laughs> I got to figure out how I'm functioning on three hours sleep with some regularity. I think I've said this to you guys a lot. I always say that the NBA six hours of sleep is an hour and a half on the plane, three hours in my bed, and another hour and a half nap later in the day. I did not get the other hour and a half nap. I don't think you really care, so I'll shut up and instead I will tell you about some really neat people over at Summit Cap. Summit Cap does great work. Uh, Summit Capital, I'm talking to, uh, about Jeff and I'm talking about David and I'm talking about Matt and, and the group at Summit Capital. They invested in Lockdown. It's almost been two years since we sold now. And um, they did a they really just, you know, good good people. And I, what I loved about it, I got introduced to them from a guy, a local guy named Brian Henderson, who I've known forever. And they, they were listeners and interested in investing because this is what they do. They take companies and help them, give them money and help them push them through. And when I was dealing with them, you know, they, they kind of openly said, you know, we don't, we don't really know your business. And my partner was a little, trep- had some trepidation. Like, hey, if we, you know, once we take someone's money, like... Like you're in, like you, you're listening to them. And I was like, yeah, I kind of, I was like, I have a feeling they're going to be okay. And you know, I get it. My partner um, is way more conservative on a bunch of things than I am. And also way smarter than I am on most of things. And so he's like wondering, and it turned out great because never once did the people at Summit Cap do anything in which they were like, Hey, we think you should do it this way. Always great questions. Always interested in knowing how we did the business. Always helping us in the, Hey, if you thought about this, great stuff. So here's what they're looking for. They're looking to provide capital for management, seeking to buy out the owner of a business they work in. Um, and so in other words, if you work for a company and the owners are kind of stagnant or begin to phase out, this is your opportunity to be able to get capital get and be able to buy the company. The owners win, they're going out, and then you have equity. You make, you make much bigger strides, and you're getting the support of these really good people over at Summit Cap. So the other way, they're also seeking owners who are seeking to sell their businesses and entrepreneurs seeking capital to help grow businesses exactly like we were. So they're not just doing this. But uniquely, that's what they're looking for right now is the scenario that I talked to. So feel free to text Matt at 801-796-2033. That's 801-796-2033. Or email LockedOnJazz at SummitCapUtah.com or click on the contact at SummitCapUtah.com. Today's show is also brought to you by our friends over at Bet Online. Bet Online, all the odds, news, scores, all the things that you need out there. Find all the latest player developments, team matchups, new podcasts, in depth articles, uh, analysis on every game you can find. And as always, Bet Online remains your continued source for all your sports wagering information with live betting, up to the minute scores in every sport MLB, MMA, boxing, golf, NBA. Head to betonline.net to use their mobile devices to learn more. Bet Online, where the game begins, and it's our kind of weekly, daily check of what's going on in regards to the NBA lines. The Warriors are the favorites, and now we've got Draymond Green and Jordan Poole getting in a fight. The Warriors are still the favorite at plus 575. The Celtics at plus 625. Nets and Bucks at plus 700, or Nets, Bucks at 700. Nets at 750, the Clippers, and then the Suns at 1,200. I think that's holding fairly um, solid right now. It's getting curious, though, to me to see how this all plays out. The Nets are the one that's really interesting to me because if they figure this out, I thought they were going to be unbelievable last year, and there's no reason for me not to think they're going to be unbelievable again. All right, um, continue our look at um, the rotations. Uh, 
Thank you very much for making Locked on Jazz your first listen of the day. NBA Big Board, they were live in Vegas. Um, so feel free to grab that. Uh, Rafael Barlow yesterday, really incredible stuff. Um, with his show live from Vegas, uh, talking about all the excitement of Victor Wemanyama and Scoot Henderson, and that was worthy of all the excitement. Okay, the combinations, ball handlers, rotations, this. Let's go to one of the things I think that I've noticed, and again, I wish we had the data to back this up, because um, I get nervous with stereo, it's thing about stereotyping in life and all those kind of things. I get nervous when you're just not quite sure um, whether what you're seeing is, oh, that caught my eye and I saw it once, or a trend. But one of the things I feel like I've seen a decent amount of is Lowry Markin and Taylor Horton Tucker and Nikhil Alexander Walker playing in the middle of the floor with the ball in their hands. Now, sometimes it's from T- Taylor Horton Tucker's been more for the top, just on a straight pick and roll. Um, Larry Markin has been more on a tighter curl in the middle of the lane. At least that's my feeling. Um, you know, there's probably a coach listening right now. It's like, Locke, you have no idea what you're talking about. And um, I'll find out about it next time we go through a security line somewhere and they say, Locke, you have no idea what you're talking about. Um, or not. Uh, anyway, I think that's an interest that that third player in this mix is a ball handler. Now, length seems to be very important in everything the Jazz are doing. So that length has been, that position has been marketing Alexander Walker or that position has been Taylor Horton Tucker. And Taylor Horton Tucker felt like it had some mixed results. Alexander Walker felt like it had some mixed results. Marketing actually feels like there's something there. So far, two games in, not probably fair to make that big of an assessment. What's interesting to me about that is now it backs up that the four guards feel like it is Conley, Sexton, Beasley, Clarkson. And that you're not trying to suddenly, and maybe we will see here, a lineup at some point of Conley, Clarkson, Beasley. Sexton, um, Conley, Beasley. Like, that's kind of where I thought we were going to be when the year started and just be super small. But that doesn't seem to be an area of focus. And Beasley's not a great ball handler. He's an unbelievable shooter. Like, Malik Beasley... Is he's a on pull up threes, he's 36%. On his career catch and shoot, he's at 39. And he had a slow start last year due to off court stuff. And then he went bananas. He in the final 30 games, he shot 45% from three. And he does, you know, he, there are some things about him, but from an offensive standpoint, like his LeBron rating was an A minus last year, his defense was not. And he does, interestingly, he kind of has defensive versatility where he moves to multiple positions defending, but his defensive ratings, according to B-Ball Index last year, were were ones where, like, this is, I think, important. Like, Minnesota had Malik Beasley guarding what they call Tier 6 offensive players. So, Tier 5 would be your five guys, and 6 is, like, a next level down. Tier 45% of the time. And so, maybe Beasley starting against a primary scoring shooting guard is not a super combination. Like, these are the... This gets really, really granular and difficult to figure out, like... I've play, I love playing around with rotations. I think it's super fun. Um, and it's really hard to do um, with this roster right now. And, and what I've been trying to figure out yesterday when I was playing and kind of charting stuff out is like, what are the principal things of importance? So that's where we're getting into this kind of idea of that I think one of the principal, two of the principal things that are jumping out to me are, are length. And then the second principal thing is that that small forward position is another ball handler um, and, and, and a ball mover. 
when now when you have a Linux on the floor, it really gets, it's four of them that are really now moving it. And a Linux, not more than one or two dribbles very often, but you really now have four ball movers. Um, when you have Kessler on the floor with Stanley Johnson or Rudy Gay, I'm not sure you've got four ball movers on the floor. Um, and so I do think there's a little element, as we talked about earlier, that maybe with Kessler you're playing a little differently. So then let's go combinations. Which point guard might play better with Kessler? Well, it might be Colin Sexton. A really straight driver, not as much of a passer as Mike Conley, really playing to get downhill. Kessler bringing the other big with him. That, that might be actually a combination that starts to work for Colin Sexton. That you want, as you start to combo people together, maybe you are trying to pair Colin Sexton and Walker Kessler together a little bit. Just kind of an interesting aspect. I don't know that I think Jordan Clarkson and Walker Kessler can be as good together because Jordan's got kind of the uniqueness to his game where he's bouncing from one spot to the other and he's doing some things. And the more open the floor is for Jordan, maybe the better he is going to be, which then gets to why maybe he started the other day and looked super comfortable doing it because a Linux spreads the floor more than most guys do. Okay, so these are the little combinations that we're trying to play with and figure out and see um, what's going on. Now, there's also a chance we end up with a nine-man rotation. There's also a chance, guy, you know, we, we have... I think players that kind of do this a little bit. We, they're not, the, this is what's going to be particularly hard on Will Hardy and his staff, is we don't have pen-in players. There aren't a lot of guys on this roster right now where I can go put a pen to paper and say, they're going to give me this every night. Whereas, you know, even like Royce O'Neal, I knew exactly what I was getting from Royce O'Neal every single night. I knew exactly what I was getting from Boyan. I knew exactly what I was getting from Rudy. Pretty darn clear what I was getting from Donovan and Mike each and Jordan. And like every night, there aren't a lot of guys right now on this roster who <clears throat> like, I'm like, okay, Mike, I got a pretty good idea of what I'm getting. I'm probably getting 14 points and about five assists. and I'm getting two or three threes. Like I've got that from there. It's it's a hard one for me to feel like I know. I don't think Markinen's at a point yet where he dictates the game. I think the game might, you know, the defenses and things like that. Maybe Jared Vanderbilt, I know exactly what I'm going to get. I get about six points and eight rebounds and a lot of activity, and he's irrelevant to game plan, irrelevant um, in the way I'm talking about. So that, I think, is going to get particularly difficult on this coaching staff is that it's it, when you're trying to build these combinations and who works well together, I don't know how many of our players actually will dictate the game rather than maybe the matchups and things. I think we saw that, like Toronto playing 6'8", 220 across the board with 10 players that were on the roster the year before. And interchanging caused us a lot more than a drop, big, soft, passive, terrible. Last year, we'll see if they are this year. Um, Portland defense, where we suddenly looked really different. I think that's, you know, these are some of the things that make this really, really complicated. So I don't have a major takeaway here for you, other than I do think length is important. I do think the third ball handler isn't, the third that all front three guys being ball handlers has some element and that maybe, you know, maybe a little bit of what we saw in that second game. I don't know that we're going to hold to it, but that Beasley suddenly playing with Alexander Walker or Horton Tucker is playing off the ball more, right? So if you're playing Sexton um, and Beasley together, they're both 40% catch and shoot three point shooters. Can you find a third ball handler that can create some opportunities for those two guys? And I, I think that second team lineup we saw the other night, with with Sexton and Beasley together before Beasley sprained his ankle was the idea. And then can Horton Tucker or Nikhil Alexander-Walker create some opportunities um, for you? Uh, you know, I know there's a we, we love our 14th pick of the draft in Abaji. Um, 
And, you know, he's got, like I do too, he's got a 6'10 wingspan. He dropped 37 against Texas Tech last year. He does a lot of things that make you really excited. He was the college player of the year. He's draft pick. He's hope. You know, he's probably not one who can play with the ball in his hands a great deal. Like, I'm not sure that that's something he showed at Kansas is something that he's ready to do. I think he might be more of a, you know, um, he's spotting up, getting that look, maybe hard aggressive drives if there's a gap in the defense. But I don't know that I expect to see him coming off pick and rolls with the ball in his hands a great deal at this stage of his career. Um, and so maybe that's why we've seen Alexander Walker and Horton Tucker so far. We're just trying to find little pieces. We might be fabricating all of it, um, frankly, um, at some point here. But I do think it's it's these are worthwhile conversations to kind of see what's going on. Who is Kelly Olenek? Let's get to know our newest, one of our newest jazz players a little bit better with some little tidbits about them as we continue on today's edition of Locked on Jazz. I have told you multiple times that we have amazing coverage on the NFL right now uh, with our prediction shows and our keys to the game. It's all locked on NFL on YouTube if you want to check that out. All right, who is Kelly Olenek? A awesome, great, fabulous, terrific Canadian character um, who just has a super vibe to him and I think might have, you know, be the person most likely you'd want to be stranded at a... Um, airport bar for two hours while on a flight delay with on this roster. I think, I'm pretty certain. Um, fun little note for him um, that he uh, played at Gonzaga with David Stockton, so he's got that jazz tie. So he grew up in Toronto in a basketball family. His dad is kind of a legendary Toronto you know, coach. He's coached for over 40 years in Canadian basketball. His mom is truly legendary. She's the first woman ever ever to be a scorekeeper at an NBA game. She did it for the Toronto Raptors. And she was an official across Canada for 27 years. So he definitely grew up in a basketball family. Maya played for Saskatchewan, his sister. And Jesse, his brother, played on the Canadian rugby national team. Um, he was uh, 6'3", entering his junior year, playing point guard. And quarterback. And that makes all the sense in the world when you watch him play in the NBA. Like he plays like he's a 6'3 point guard or he plays like he's a quarterback who then became 6'10 by his senior year and at that point got scooped up by Gonzaga who found this incredible find on this late developing um, player. Um, He, by the way, also... um, I think I misspoke for a second ago, by the way. Jesse... Is his oh now I'm confused. He is the middle of three. He's the middle of three, and I think he has two sisters, not a brother. So I think I said Jesse, his brother, played for rugby, and I I, I think I'm I'm certain I'm wrong on that. Um, but I am not certain now from my notes whether Maya or Jesse is older. Um, so he's playing from an NBA standpoint. So the other thing about him, so he grew up like vintage Raptors fan. So Alvin Williams, Damon Stoudemire, obviously Vince Carter, but like he grew up with the vintage Raptor posters across his wall. I'm pretty certain his mom was working Raptors games and doing things and bringing home the posters for the kid, right? Like um, my daughter used to have the little poster inserts all over her wall when she was a kid, like same concept. He would follow, he would sneak his radio, love him for this, this is maybe why, you know, he would sneak his radio in and listen to rap Chuck Swartzky or whoever it was calling Raptors games at night and fall asleep 
um, listening to Raptors game, particularly West Coast Raptors game. So huge basketball fan his whole life, huge Raptors fan his whole life. He spent four years in Boston, drafted by Danny Ainge. Then he spent four years in Miami. He's been at Houston and Detroit since. From a basketball standpoint, he only played 40 games last year. So his body failed him a little bit, and you now begin to wonder, like, okay, are we hitting that age? He does. There's been a little bit of a feeling he's slowed down a little bit when we watched him over the last few years and, and made you wonder um, whether whether it was, you know, still the he was a really impactful wing or winning player for both Boston and Miami um, in his career. Always felt to me kind of one of the elite uh um, the elite uh, plus-minus players in the league uh, throughout his career. but playing And playing on good teams, that's not always um, the easiest thing to be able to do. But if you looked at his on-court plus-minus in his career, he was negative. Uh, he was negative his first year, but the team was better with him on the floor than off the floor. His only other year in which he was a negative plus-minus player was the year he bounced between uh, Miami and Houston, and the reason was because Houston was minus 10, but he was still they were still way better. So in every year of his career, they have been better with him on the floor than off the floor, other than 16-17 in Boston and 19-20 in, in Miami. So he has really been a great plus-minus player throughout his career. What will be interesting to watch for us is he played 27 games for Houston when they were kind of at their bottom stage, um, after the Harden trade, and he averaged 19 points, 8 rebounds, and 4 assists during that stretch. So he really picked his game up um, to another level. Uh, I don't necessarily think that that's you know, who he is. He dropped 30 once in his career. It was against Boston in 2017 after he went to Miami. He put 32 on, on Boston right in his first game back against the Celtics after they moved him, which tells you a little bit um, about his competitiveness and things like that. Um, in regards to aging and whether at 30 years old he's slowing down, there are some numbers that are really good. His block percentage went up last year to 2.2%, which was the second highest of his career. His steal percentage went up to 2% last year, which was the second highest of his career. So those numbers are, are great to see because they, they say that there is still you know activity and athleticism there. His assist percentage last year was 23%, which is the highest of his NBA career. So he really just adapted to kind of the situation he's in and how he's playing. Um, the one concern I would say last year, and you, he just doesn't have any lift. He never had a lot of it, but he doesn't have a lot of lift left if you watch him. And his rim percentage shooting did slide last year a little bit on a basketball standpoint. Um, he is percentage shooting um, at two per, on, between zero and three feet dropped to 64% last year, which is by far the lowest of his career. Well, by far since his rookie year at 65, but then otherwise he was in the mid seventies for most of his career. Um, is lowest. He, he did take a lot. He didn't like stop going to the rim, which is the other sign that um, particularly on guards. So I think the aging thing is probably fine, but there has been some murmur um, about that overall in turn, his effective field goal percentage did slip a little bit. Um, but, you know, we'll keep an eye. The, the other one I would say last year on him uh, is his first 10 games back with Detroit from injury. He struggled miserably. He then, in his next 20 games, which kind of wrapped up the end of his season, he got back on track. He shot 55% from the floor and 43% um, from three. But that's all basketball stuff. And maybe the thing we really need to know about Kelly Olynyk is his, his weddings um, to one singular person. And I got to admire this because this tells me about Kelly Olynyk's zest for life 
and why I'd want to be stuck in an airport bar for two hours on a delay talking to Kelly Olenek. So Kelly Olenek got married three times to the same woman in the same summer last summer. Now, huh? Well, if you think about this, you only get to, should only get married once. So you might as well do it, and there's different ways to do it. So if you've got enough money, you might as well do it all three ways. So they did a ceremony in Idaho for her family, and a family small gathering, intimate family wedding in Idaho. Okay? They went to Vegas and got married by an Elvis impersonator. Because, really, right. And then they threw a big-ass bash in Napa where they brought everybody, all their closest friends, had a huge tomb, had a shot clock up for downing beers and, and shotgunning beers. They had just a total freaking blowout party of unbelievable mammoth proportions that was just awesome in Napa. Like, that's the answer. You got the money? Throw three of them. I love Kelly Olenek. Have a great day. Enjoy life the way Kelly Olenek enjoyed getting married. Have a great one. Talk to you soon. This is Locked on Jazz, your daily podcast on the Utah Jazz, giving you all the things that hopefully make it better to be a Jazz fan because it's your team every day.